This is the last section of Acts. We've been doing our study of Acts for like two years, and we're so excited to come to the end of it. So I'll read verse 21, and then the rest of you all read 22 responsibly. Uh, and uh, Chris will represent you all in the, rep, uh, in, the in the response. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know what people, uh, we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your, to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their eyes and they have closed their ears. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want, to, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. All together now? He Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught, taught about the, about Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ with NIV. all boldness and without hindrance. Amen. Heavenly Father God, we thank you. Uh, we praise your holy name in the highest. Thank you for bringing us together on your day to hear a message from the last portion of our reading of Acts. Thank you for preserving these, uh, these precious records of how your church began and how your spirit continues to move us according to your perfect will. We ask that today your preacher is able to conclude these studies in series that has taken almost two years and that each of the hearers will be many steps closer to not only understand with their hearts but to be able to bring the good news to your, of your kingdom and the good news that you are Lord to the nations before us, starting with our neighbors, our, fa uh, our family members, relatives, and, and, uh, and friends. May, our word, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be right and pleasing before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, good afternoon, NBC. Before we begin, why don't we start to greet one another? Today happens to be Valentine's Day. So why don't we look at each other and say, Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody on Zoom. You can't see this, but uh, I see you guys on the big screen opposite me. So happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Um, I just did a, a little search today. It turns out that there's 190 million Valentine's Day cards that are purchased each year, and they're sent to significant, given to significant others. But towards the end of the message today, I'll, sh I'll be sharing with you a little bit of the historical background on this uh, real person, someone who was made a saint in the Catholic Church, either Valentinus or Valentine. But before that, uh, let us look at the final section of our studies in the book of Acts. So Paul finally reaches Rome. The, uh, 
the long anticipated journey comes to an end. He is there and he's preaching after three days upon arrival. And the local Jewish leaders, they had assembled uh, with Paul. And he, Paul, is, Paul is addressing them. Paul tells them, you know, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charges against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see, to see you and talk to you. It is because of the hope of Israel, and of course, all, even though Paul doesn't mention it, for the hope of all nations that I'm here bound with this chain. And then, uh, so he makes this really grandiloquent, you know, it's a nice big introduction that he makes about his case. And uh, their response as the audience is an incredible response. They're saying, we never even heard that you're coming. We never even heard about you. I don't know if you've ever heard this expression. Have, just by nod, you, nodding your head, have you ever heard this expression, ignorance is bliss? You've heard that, right? It is probably one of the few times in the entire book of Acts where Paul, upon his preaching, is not, is not met with preconceived animosity. It reads to me like it's actually the first time where Paul faces a neutral Jewish crowd without any prejudices. Oh yeah? What is it that you have to share for us? We're interested in actually hearing what you got to say. So I want to jump right into the first point that I want to draw for us from our text. Paul had to travel a significant distance to find a crowd that was actually willing to listen. Have you guys ever heard of this saying, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town? If you read the Bible, at least once through the Gospels, you will have heard Jesus say this. He's quoting, you know, when, when you are a prophet of God, elsewhere, when, you, when you're, dis, when you're in, in short-term mission outing, when you're in Mexico, they see you as someone from the outside with the message of God. But the very people that you live with, the people in your household, the people that know you, your habits, right? They don't, they don't consider you as somebody who could be a messenger of God. Our culture is not entirely unfamiliar with Christianity. In fact, so much so that for a long time we've been told that the United States is a Christian nation. Nod your heads if you've heard this before. You've heard that the United States is a Christian nation, right? But here's the case. Our present context is in many ways post-Christian. There are many, many people for hundreds of years that have gone, been attending church. They have uh, many generations down the line that have gone to church, but then they started abandoning the church and going their own way. This, is, this has happened in America. It has happened in, in Europe. And, and the same trend, same phenomenon is actually happening in our, in our country. If you look at the, the college campuses, the climate, there's an increasing what they call pluralization. You might have heard this before. Why, why is it only Christianity that, is, that is, has the truth claim? What about these other religions? What about Islam? What about Judaism? What about Hinduism? What about Buddhism? Especially with the races becoming more and more diverse in this land, people are going to be decrying these things, you know? Why does the Christian religion claim that exclusive truth, right? And uh, in many ways, that is a homework for us. 
the first point of today's message is that in our context, our present-day context in America, North America, for you guys, for us, is the calling is for re-evangelization of a post-Christian culture. I don't know if you've ever met, if you've known friends that you grew up with in the church. There's some of them that have left the church. And they're not, they didn't move. They didn't go to some other church. They just abandoned church altogether. They don't go to church anymore. I was interviewing a, a local church pastor on, on my podcast a couple of years, like a year, last year, season two, right? Pastor Mitchell from the home church from Roland Heights. Turns out that he's also a house church pastor. We know Pastor Eric from Houston, and, and we talk shop, and, and he's a veteran. He's been doing this for more than three years, I mean, really actively. I think he's almost in his fourth year now. And in this area, in this region, he's seen a great measure of success. And uh, we were discussing something about the unique difficulty in, in sharing the gospel in Southern California is that uh, this is something that is not according to his own insight, but from Tim Keller. How many of you know who Tim Keller is? Nod your heads if you've heard of him. Pastor Tim Keller, one of the most su successful church planters and pastor in the New York City, Manhattan area, now retired, he says that preaching and teaching and uh, evangelizing in the United States is difficult because many folks have already heard the gospel. At some level, they've already, they already been exposed to Christianity. They know it. And they've considered it as they're part of the body. And after long term of deliberation, they have decided to abandon the faith. They've decided to leave. Sometimes it happens like in a, you know, gradually. You stop attending services once, twice, three times, and it just becomes, there's other priorities that kind of, kind of you know, rise up, emerge in your lives, you know, when you get, when you get into a, a relationship. People that you used to know from the youth group, they leave the church. Some of them get boyfriends, girlfriends. Some of them leave the faith disillusioned. Some of them, uh, who are, I mean, when you actually talk to them later on, they were really never committed to begin with. They were coming because their friends were coming. They never really had opened their hearts up to Jesus Christ. They never had a personal encounter. They've never really delved into the Word of God. And then and others who, who may, might have had all these things happen, they just kind of, something happened to them. Like they had a loss in the family. They have actually suffered some kind of trauma, you know. And then they choose one day to drift away. Something captures their attention and they kind of, go farther and farther away than to abide in the community of faith. Some have felt that living without church is far more convenient. I happen to know a few cases like this where they used to attend church. They didn't really understand what it was. They just kept attending church because there was some immediate benefit. There was a camaraderie. There's like a, it seems like there's a community, like a family. You know, It seems like the, the friends that you gather around in churches, they really care about you. But uh, later on, as they've grown older, as they've gained a sense of autonomy while they go away to college or whatnot, they feel as long as they are able to live their lives as they want, that it is enough for them. And as a culture, as a North American culture here, we're growing more and more self-reliant. From the very beginning, United States, America, had a culture of independence autonomy, self-reliance, these are actually American virtues. Like, have you guys, how many of, how often do you see like YouTube videos that talk about do it yourself? Don't call a plumber to do this job, you could do it yourself. Everything is 
about doing yourself. Wait till you come to your root canal. You can't do the root canal yourself. You're going to have to rely on a doctor or a professional, right? I mean, as much as possible, we try to rely on ourselves. And that's the spirit of America. That's the American culture that we're contending with. Now, we don't know, we don't realize this. The more and more isolated we become in our self-reliance, believe it or not, as a result, we grow more and more hard-hearted. We don't become sensitive to our own needs of community. And, and far worse, we don't really care about the needs of the other people. Like, uh, when we live our lives as human people, and when we hear about the poverty in Africa, that's really, really far away. So we think, you know, that's far away. So, you know, I, I feel comfortable with that. But if it's happening right around us, like when I was riding the bicycle to the beach on the riverbed, and I saw a colony, colony of people subsisting. I don't know how they're surviving, but they're living in tents with children. I'm going, how are they able to live that way? It's a little too close for comfort, you know, because it's happening right around our neighborhood and our background. What happens when you're more, more, self, more and more self-reliant and you think that you have gotten to where you're at because of your own efforts alone and that you deserve to, to, to reign in that, then you become, as a result, kind of a less sensitive or, or more callous in your heart towards the needs of other people. You become more callous to the, to the heed, the calling that is heeded by God. God is ca- calling onto your heart and saying, go and help that person. That person needs your help right now. Go and help. Go and respond to this crisis. There's a crisis going on right now, and we don't hear it, right? Now, when I read Acts, I'm able to read it from Paul's perspective because I've, you know, I'm, not, I'm not calling myself an apostle per se, but as a leader of a congregation in any church context, that's what I've had to do. I had to relate to uh, the people of my second generation congregation uh, in light of like the Korean congregation. Like when, when Paul identifies and he's trying to preach to the Jewish people, it's like me addressing the Korean congregation the first generation. And then, like if, if we're trying to talk about what the gospel is supposed to look like, what the church is supposed to look like, and then they don't listen, they don't take heed to it, then you gotta, what do you got to do? You got to go and, and seek out other cultures. You got to seek out other races. That's almost what's going on here. Because Paul is trying to share the gospel as he understands it from their own scripture. The culmination of all the things that God has been talking about in the Old Testament, it, becomes, it comes into complete fruition in the person of Jesus Christ. And as he is, I mean, as eloquently present as stru- structured as possible in an orderly fashion he, pre- he presents to the people but some of them com- are convinced and the others are like you know they don't get it and so uh in the end paul applies this applies this old uh, passage from isaiah to present to to depict a reality that every preacher goes through now i'm i'm preach i'm a preacher by vocation i was called into the pulpit ministry but what about you guys let's say that uh uh, you guys are shepherds, or even if you're not shepherds, let's say you have the gift of the, the preaching, you want to share the, the gospel to the people. And, and you, you have been touched by the Spirit of God to share this gospel to, a, you know, to like a young, young man or a young lady. And that particular time, you spend all that time, like let's say we into the hours of the night, like two or three in the morning, you're explaining it, explaining it. And at the end, they just say, you know what, I hear what you're saying, but right now it's just, 
it's just not my time, and then they just walk away. How frustrated would you feel in that moment when you're just pouring your life into, into them, and then they just respond, it's like, well, thanks, but no thanks. That's basically what is going on in this particular scenario in the, towards the book of Acts. We see that Paul is at least not met with hostility from these Jews when he, when he finds them in Rome. And it's kind of a refreshing thing because he's in a new environment. It was a fresh start that was provided for Paul because none of them had a chance to react or respond to the gospel. They didn't have a chance to really reject it because they haven't really heard it yet. And uh, their initial disposition is that they're open-minded. They, you know, we want to hear what you got to say, what your views are. We are aware that this, this is a belief of yours. It's being talked about everywhere. This sect, this... Uh, Christian sect, the way of, the, way of uh, the people of the way, right? People of Jesus Christ. We know about that. And so let's see what you got to say. And so he's excitedly talking about it from morning till night. Now, uh, since we're already, we already gathered together as professing Christians, like right now we have, I don't know, gathering about 10 people, what would you, you say? In the back, all together about 10 people, including myself. Some people on Zoom here, right? Um, we already are proposing that we are Christians, that we're believers, and we're gathering together. And every time you hear the word, I hope that you're making incremental gains, little gains. Like every time you hear it, you feel like you're just a little bit closer to the entire reality. One day, you become inspired to, you, you, you just said this year, you say, this year I want to read the whole thing. And so you read the entire scripture. And every time you are engaging in that activity, you feel that God, the living God, is revealing more of Himself to you, and you, are, you become acquainted with the master plan. You see His vision for the future, and you see that you can place yourself in that, in that, in that vision, that you are in there as a, as a player, not just a spectator. Right? And time after time, these are the, the changes that that we're expecting to happen to us for our desire, for our desire of our faith to make a difference in our own lives. I mean, when you come, how tedious is it to come to church every, every Sunday and then, and then you're leaving and you're seeing absolutely no difference in your life? If it's making no, no difference, I, I, could, I can only imagine being disillusioned and then just walking away. But as, as you're kind of pulling your heart into it, and you're going in all the way. Not just dipping your toe and then just, you know, just kind of sampling the waters, but really, really jumping in with your whole heart. Because once you've gone in there, you will discover something. God, something, God will reveal to you something that, is, that, that you realize there's no turning back. That's what happened to Paul. That's what we're reading here today. In short, to live our lives to please God who we hear, He loves us to the point of not only dying for us, but to send this one and only Son to die for us. There are people who die for one another every day in the battlefield. That's a reality. We do die for one another, but that kind of sacrificial love comes from the point to the person that the point person that it comes from is is, is Jesus Christ. Now we do die for one another, but the sacrifice to sacrifice your own Son. The one and only Son, only God can do that in a, man, in a way that it can truly matter. So, 
they get a time and place where Paul is staying and, uh, and he gets a chance to witness to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and about Jesus, our, our Lord. These two things, they're the central features of the message that we read and the central, like the purpose of our lives. When we, when we come to church and they may ask you, what, what is it that you guys talk about and what are you hearing about and what is the Bible about? When you want to kind of, if you want to sum it up into one like big bag, you know, if you want to just kind of try to summarize it into just two concepts, two big concepts is, is the kingdom of God. We have, in this world, we live our lives with the values of this culture, thinking that man is something great, thinking that we have it all, that, that we have everything that we all need, Right? That is, up to the moment where we come to and face our rea- the reality of our, of our uh, mortality. Like when the, when the coronavirus started looming large and people started dying around us, that, that we, we realized that this life is not the, the end of it all, that there is something. We, we started groping for, for what, what is next, what's after, what's after this, right? And the answers to those questions, those nagging questions that even philosophers have never been able to reach, is being offered to us as a revelation. The kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus. That is what is being preached uh, through Paul. Every Sunday when I am preaching from the pulpit to you guys, I am hoping that I will not miss that, that I'm always delivering that the Lord Jesus is our Lord right now. He's a living God. And also that the kingdom of God is at hand. As long as we have people that are having our hearts ready to turn to God, and ready to surrender our lives so that He can make His perfect will and plan be manifested in our lives, then that is the kingdom of God that is at hand. And with that, it's not just words. It's not just empty words. It's things that actually happen. Like people that have been harassed for a long time, chronically with the de- demonic oppression. With things that have been harassing them, you know, with the demonic oppression of like uh, uh, insomnia or just uncontrollable rage, things of that nature, these things, they actually get relief from every day. It's actually happening. And the miracles that we discount these days because of the scientific improbability of these things, they're happening all the time. In fact, I don't think we even have to go that far. If you ask Peter or John, anybody who has been to Africa, we don't even have to go that far to Africa. If you've been on one short-term mission to, down to Mexico, you will hear incredible stories of, about how people are being healed today from physical ailments of long duration and how people are also being raised from the dead. These are things that are still happening today. And the kingdom of God is a very ancient expectation. It's been encoded into the scripture from the Old Testament you know, all, all the way up until now. It is where God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, would reign over us in His perfection. If you remember the historical books of the Old Testament, people were not satisfied with the ruling of God, God being our ruler. So they wanted, just like other people, to appoint a ruler over us. To have a, We want a king over us. We want our strong man to represent us. Right? And, uh, of course, there was... There is, to the benefit of having that, there's always a cost. I mean, a king has a right to conscript, conscript uh, soldiers. Even if you don't want to serve in the military, the king can call you into his service, right? Now, in his perfection, in God's perfection, he could have ruled us in his, in his shalom, in his peace. 
But sin had entered the picture, the sin of disobedience, and it had to be dealt with by the holy standards of God that cannot, that cannot be sidestepped. A lot of times we wonder to ourselves, what's with this whole business about Jesus Christ? Why did you need Jesus Christ to die on the cross in the first place? Well, Jesus is the only one that was able, capable of, of dealing with our sin. How do you reconcile the fact that God is love, right? He loves us. He doesn't want us to perish. He doesn't want to just send us all to hell, even though the sin, the wages of sin is death and we're deserving of it. How do you reconcile that loving God and the God who is of justice, who has standards of what is holy and what is perfection? How do you reconcile that? The answer is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the one that was able to step up as the Son of God, representing all men and representing the divine will. And then he suspended himself in the middle of the reality of the heavens and, and the humanity. And he suspended himself in the middle to, to be this bridge, to be, to be this eternal bridge that, that has us. If we, should we come to him, we, we receive the right to become heirs, children of God, heirs of the promise. And this news is, is so big and it's so grand that from one, from one hearing, I don't know, if it happens with one hearing, that is surely a miracle of the Holy Spirit. But there are many, many people that hear it 10 times, 100 times, and it just their hearts get duller and duller and they don't really get it. Today's Valentine's Day, right? Valentine's Day is supposed to celebrate the love between uh, two people. You know, man and a woman, woman and man. But now these days... It's, uh, it's not limited to the cis-hetero, like all kinds of couples, trans couples, all kinds of sexual identity. They, they all celebrate it together, which is probably what's driving up the numbers of the, how many cards are sold or whatnot. But let me tell you this. This love that we celebrate between people by St. Valentine's Day, it doesn't, it doesn't ex- get expressed to the, to the eloquence and the beauty and the majesty that Jesus Christ expressed in this indelible reminder. Whenever we look at the cross, we know what true love looks like. Completely selfless. Even in the love between a man and a woman, you know that the, other, the opposite partner pleases you, right? There is a self-interest in the, in the, in the opposite, in the, the sexual love between man and a woman. But uh, in, the, in the sense that Jesus Christ, when he emptied himself, it was of only one self-interest of the pleasing the Father. Pleasing God the Father. And much in the same way, if our Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord, that is what takes our heart's allegiance, right? We become free, ultimately, from our selfishness, which is at the root of the sin. It's like oh, we have the selfishness from which we become free because we're no longer trying to grasp at what we think we want and need. We're now thinking of Thou, the Lord who has saved us. And this is what happens. The second point of, the, of, the, of our, our message is this. What we notice is that when Paul is preaching to the people, these are Jews that know the scripture. It's the Lord Jesus who becomes the, the singular, singular focus that divides between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. When Jesus preaches the gospel to the Jews, there's, two, there's typically two ways that they can respond. One is that they accept, they hear it, and they're convinced. They go, you know what? I hear you, Paul. I think I get it. Their eyes are open. They understand the scripture, and they're like, 
I want to receive this Jesus. You know, is it, is it possible? Can you lay your hands on me and then can you, can you allow me to receive this Jesus, right? That's one way. And the other is they still don't get it. They don't get it. Oh, I don't know. This must be some kind of a new thing. It sounds heretical to me. It sounds dangerously heretical to me. And the Jews can react that, respond that way. And there's a disagreement between the kingdom of light of the chosen ones, kingdom of salvation, kingdom of God, and those who are still remaining in the darkness. After they meet together and hearing extensively about the kingdom of God, the law of Moses and the prophets, as Paul continues to share and to persuade him about Jesus, some were convinced, meaning they received the faith, and others would not believe. They remained in the darkness, actively contending against the truth of God. And of course, now, now that Paul had a chance to say it once, what's the likelihood that those who already rejected it at the first time would, would, uh, would accept it, would turn and accept? It's not very high. Once you've rejected it, it's, it's, it's only easier to reject it again and again and again. So I guess if you could draw like a, you know, something of an encouraging word is that it is not up to us. It is not by your eloquence, by your learnedness. It's not by your eagerness. It's not by only your earnestness that you can make converts. It's in the will of God and in His timing. All we can do is to be consistent all we can do is to continue the pursuit. All we can do is to be faithful to the message that we carry in our hearts. Our hope, the reason why we bother with coming to church, and to the church gatherings and the, and the house church, evangelizing in, in public places, and even holding our house churches, they have, we have the chief purpose of this, of this truth of God being heard by the people and, and, and witnessed. Truth of God is not, it's not only a message that can be fashioned into words. It's something that has to be expressed in the way we live our lives. And, by the way, not only limited to that. When you invite other people to your house churches and you're sharing in the community, in the goodness of God, in your prayers, when you're able to witness that the prayers are answered, then what you have is experience. You're allowing those people that never had the light to experience the presence of God. Let me ask you, can you think of a higher calling than that? That's a much higher calling than, I don't know what you aspire to be over here, a physician, a dentist. It's, it's much higher calling than that. In fact, when you do become a dentist, I hope you become a very successful one, a very successful practice, but it will be a means. It will be a means for you to the greater ends of having people watch you, look at you and say, you know what, I want to believe in the God that he believes in. I want to believe in the God that she believes in, right? Amen? It should be exciting for you. It should be. And you can press on like Paul does, going through all kinds of hardships, imprisonment, flogging, being shipwrecked three times by the time this is happening, right? This is the third time. And uh, being stoned to the point of being left for dead. He still has a singular purpose to have Christ known. To him, nothing else really matters. His own life doesn't matter. That's what he says in one of his letters. I mean, my, only, my life only matters to the fact, insofar that Christ is being made known. If I, if I fail to fulfill that function, that's it, I'm toast. I'm useless. Might as well take me now, Lord, you know. But as long as he's able to still, with his last drawing breath, able to share Christ, then that life is being afforded for the greater good. Even when he's in chains with his personal freedom restricted, 
You know, uh, when he was when he was when he was uh, in Rome, I was reading the commentary. It says that he was probably chained to a soldier. Like I'm thinking, really? Did, I mean, is he like a flight risk? Is Paul gonna like just go somewhere else? No. I mean, but they're saying that the chances are, if he was under house arrest, it's very likely that the Romans may have placed a chain on him and uh, and next to a, next to a Roman soldier. Nowadays, house arrest is like, what do they have in the house arrest? Anybody have friends who have ever been on house arrest or know somebody that have been on house arrest? It's like a digital ankle thing, right? <laughs> so if you leave the house, they'll know right away, and then you could, they could come and chase you. Anyway, even when he is uh, in chains, he wishes that everyone who hears him would become subject to the kingdom of God a disciple of Jesus Christ, our Lord, a saved Christian, bound for heaven and eternal life. You know, a lot of times, uh, that's actually one of, the, one of the hindrances. When we share Christ, our self-image can be sometimes poor. Like, let's say that I don't have a job, I don't have anything to show for how great my life is. I have nothing to show for how great my life is. So, because of our lack of self-confidence, we don't go out there and share Christ. Because what we're lacking is the joy. The joy of having Christ as our Lord. Because He's the true fountainhead and the source of all true hope, all real hope. But we, we assign the value, the same values that everybody else assigns. And then we get all kind of like, a, we withdraw. We feel withdrawn and then we don't feel like we have the, the conviction or the strength to share the gospel with other people. Why? Why? Why do we think that those who don't have faith have it better than us? Why do we mistake that? Don't, if you ever think that in your mind, I don't want you to condemn yourself, but I do want you to think about it. Man, do I really assign my hope in the true and living God? Because, you know, I mean, I've, the words roll out of my mouth very easily, but this concept of the living God being my true hope, that's huge. That is so big. Paul understood this concept. Paul understood what it meant that he was plucked out by God from, from all myriad people, and God chose to use him as, as his personal instrument. And so he wants this known to his own people. He really wants the Jews to know this. This is his compatriots. This is his own flesh and blood, you know? No matter where, Judea, Samaria, Rome. Later on, he aspired to even go to as far as Spain. We don't know if he made it to Spain, but man... That would have been, at that time, considered the end of the earth. He wanted to go, he wanted to reach the end of the earth to find people to preach the uh, gospel to. And uh, as, you, as you will see, uh, the reason why not just the Jews anymore, it's made more and more clear. Now, it's not that uh, Paul was disappointed that not everyone who heard him uh, believed him unanimously. He gets angry, he's frustrated because he preaches the gospel some do, some do, you know, some are convinced. They hear him out and they go, okay, I will believe in your Jesus. And the others, others are like, ah, they don't accept it. And it's not like he had this unrealistic expectation that everybody should believe. I mean, faith and unfaith is, is a dividing line. It's, it's kind of like a, this momentary episodic judgment in itself. You know, if you, if you don't believe, the sooner, you, the sooner you believe, the better it is for you. 
the later you believe that much of a, a more progress you need to make later on, right? What he does is that he voices the frustration that must have been in the heart of God that was expressed through the, the, the prophets that came before him. You know? But it is God who has the sovereignty and yet allows the wrong choices in our hearing, in our seeing, and in our lives. You know, when I jog back my memory to the earliest part of my conversion, it wasn't like a sudden thing where when I heard the message once, I, it clicked. It didn't click suddenly for me. I was just as hard of hearing and hard of seeing as these people. For me, it took multiple times. And it only, not only did it, took, did it take time for me to listen to the teachers and the preachers and the pastors, some of, some of them who, whom I disagree with, I had to become a teacher myself. I had to teach the youth group, and I had to prepare myself with the Word of God because now I have to teach the, the, the youth group the Bible, right? You know what it says? If you mislead one of these little ones, it's better to tie a millstone around your neck and to throw yourself up into the sea. I've read that somewhere, so when I came to, to teach the youth group, do you think that I, I was prepared? I was preparing myself. And lo and behold, the knowledge, the basis of my knowledge of the Word of God today, it comes from those years. Do you think that God was absent in that? God was in there, drawing me near. Whenever you're given chances to serve in, the, in this body, whenever, like, let's say that Pastor James one day asked one of you guys, hey, I need a teacher. I need a teacher for our youth group because we've grown. We've grown. Man, consider that to be an opportunity that you don't want to miss. It's one of those chances where you can really, truly learn to be a leader for the, for the Lord, risen Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the, uh, the passage that I'm about to conclude with, it, it's an age-old riddle. When a person becomes a Christian or not, is that by human choice or is that by election? Have you guys heard about this debate? There's the predestination and then the human free will debate, right? This is a philosophical conundrum that so there's no solution. If God is the one that has predestined who goes to hell and who goes to heaven, do we really have choice? Any choice that we perceive would be an illusion, wouldn't it? Right? Because in the end, from the very get-go, God has already made the choice. If he, had cho- if he had chosen me to not make it, no matter how hard I try, I'm not. I'm not in, right? Right? But uh, I don't want to say that uh, that's all that the Bible teaches. There is something going on. There's an interplay. Remember when uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart? When in this contest of will between, between God and Pharaoh back in, the, back in Exodus, people initially harden their hearts. And do you know what God does? God does not resist you when you harden your heart. When you say no, when you say make me, when you, when you have that attitude, God doesn't go in there and interfere with that sometimes. He just says, oh yeah, really? Okay, let's see how. And then what, what that is, that is your own heart, hardened heart getting even harder. And, and if, you were to, if you were called by God, that makes you suffer. It, you do. It's, there's no peace. You, you think that you're like, you know, charging and marching out in your own direction. But if you, should you be really God, God's own, you just go, man, this, this is not happening, you know. I, I, want, I want to reconcile. I want to say sorry. I want, I want to do the right thing. I want to come to God and I want to repent. But it, it, may, it, it becomes that much harder, right? Are they choosing to not believe because they have been already elected to not choose God? This is a frightening possibility. 
When you give it your all to preach and convince your hearers to receive Jesus, but they don't, you can't really quite just blame them. It's recorded in Scripture. It's within the sovereignty of God. Go to these people and say, every pastor loves to say this, because, you know, this sometimes that's how I feel. Go to these people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Isn't that what God wants? God wants us to turn and heal, right? We know that's what He wants. But why would He say, you will be, you will be ever hearing but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving? It's reflecting a reality of the hardened hearts, or hardened hearts. Our hearts are so hard and we're so, so stubborn. Uh, which points did we cover today, right now? One and two, right? What was the first point? The first point is that right now our present context is that we have to re-evangelize a post-Christian society. That's the United States right now as we speak. And second one, uh, David, if you could go to the second point of today. Our Lord Jesus declares the kingdom of God, meaning that the entire passage, uh, actually the entire Bible really is about Jesus as our Lord and the kingdom of God. That's what it is. Oftentimes, we have turned this whole thing about our personal salvation. Humanity, even in the, in the finest in the, ac- religious accomplishment, let's call it, okay? Let's call Christianity a religious accomplishment. Humanity can turn it about us. We're, 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 we're capable of turning something so grand as something about us. It's about your personal salvation. It's about you going to heaven, right? But man, if you do that, you, you're... You're messing it up. You're messing up the program. Yes, it's about our salvation, so we have the eternal security, but that's not when we remain, and then we, we get the, the, this discomfort about that. It's about the kingdom of God. We're saved into the kingdom of God where we serve Him. That is the, the great news. And when you serve the kingdom of God, the values of the kingdom of God are realized through our hands and through our lives. And when you witness that, you will have your eyes open to the living God. And, and then... All the stuff, all the fancy things that, that seem to be going on in the, in the world, it looks drab. It looks downright nasty. You just go, you know what? With a 10-foot pole, I wouldn't go near it. Once you open your eyes to the things that are going, going on in, in the kingdom of God, why? Because of Jesus Christ. Never met a person more beautiful than Jesus Christ. Never met a person that gives me more strength today than Jesus Christ. There were many, many times where I just said, I wanted to give up, right? But Jesus is able to draw out of me one more day by pouring into me more of his life. That's the Lord that I know. You guys know that Lord? If you know that Lord, then, then I don't have to worry. You guys are in good hands. We're, we're all in good hands here. The third point is this. The third point is, David, our salvation is a miracle precisely, precisely because of what is stated here. We're living in a world, in a day and age, where people will hear but not understand. We're seeing with our eyes, but we don't understand. We're going through coronavirus right now. We're t- towards the tail end of the pandemic, right, because the vaccine is coming out. 
And you know what the CDC is saying? They're saying coronavirus is nothing compared to the things that are coming ahead of us. I don't know where they're making these predictions from. I don't know what kind of nefarious schemes are up in their, up their, up the people's sleeves. But if it's going to be worse than this, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You know, it sounds, it sounds like, a, like a very doom and gloom kind of a thing to say, but, but if, it, if by all means necessary, if the people will come to know Jesus Christ, I say, let's go Machiavellian in this. Worst of the tides of, that, that may come, like if we have a huge tsunami wave just sweeping across California and we all go underwater, if we're able to return to Jesus because of that, I say, so be it. So be it. Because... This is the thing. If you really are truly a believer of Jesus Christ, if you really believe in the Lord, if you seek for His presence in your life, if you have a hunger for His word, that in itself makes you a miracle. We come to what church? What's the name of this church now? NBC, right? NBC stands for Miracle Land Baptist Church. We, we are called Miracle Land Baptist Church because the pastor, the founding pastor, who, who put in a bid, there was an auction for this, for this plot, it was well below the expected, you know, the, the minimum bid was like $825,000 from the next door church, the Holy Cross Church. And uh, I guess at the time, the only thing that they could afford was uh, the meager half a million dollar bid. They put the opening bid that way. It was a disqualified, the, 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 the bid does not qualify. And yet, after every morning prayer, they're, they're you know, they're doing the Jericho thing. Seven, seven, seven laughs around the territory, and they're praying, they're praying, you know, until, lo and behold, the miracle, miracle happens. Therefore, Miracle Land Baptist Church, if you really believe in, in, in the risen Son of God, if you really have a desire for Jesus Christ in your heart, it's not something to be taken lightly. It puts enormous value in you as a person, because if, if your blood is shed because of your faith in that final and faithful day in the future, you become a martyr. You become like Paul, who went to Paul, who went to Rome to preach the gospel in front of a monster like Nero and to later be beheaded to have his head cut off. That is, that is the legacy in which we, we live. We live by having inherited that kind of power, that kind of a, a, a truth that we would, we would easily, easily, easily give our lives for. I don't know if you were able to appreciate that today. Maybe you get a little, maybe it's like, a, maybe you're understanding it a little bit, but as you grow older in the faith and as you grow closer to Jesus, you'll realize, wow, how precious every single saint that comes together here to worship the Lord and to love Jesus. If you love Jesus in this world and day and age, oh man, that is a miraculous thing. Amen? And you believe the Lord? Hallelujah. Last but not least, the fourth point of today is this. Fourth point. David. Slide. Okay. So what happens, the way the book of Acts ends, it ends on a kind of a, kind of a nice, quaint note, right? How does it end? Basically, it doesn't talk about Paul's martyrdom. Luke does not record that. For two years, it only talks about Paul staying in his own rented house. It means that he was 
although he was under, under, under house arrest, he was still imprisoned, he was able to um, sustain his living. Remember, he was a tent maker. He, was, you know, he made his own money. So he was able to sustain. He was able to pay the rent of that house, and he was able to entertain guests that were coming from outside. And whoever came to see him, he would greet them like a house church. This is like a model of a proto-house church. And Paul was shepherding them while he was imprisoned. And what did he do? What was his chief activity? He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. All those stories of him having to go to prison, being flogged and being shipwrecked and being stoned almost near to death, all of these things, you know, all those details are kind of like shoved aside. And, and Luke writes this very, very idyllic picture of Paul enjoying, as it were, like a pastor like myself, if I was able to terminate my life, you know, if my last days looked like this, I'd be so happy. That's awesome. I get to live in my own house, and I have a bunch of visitors like you guys come in, and I get to preach the Word of God every day as you, as you come. Man, that's amazing, right? But as I've, as I've already shared with you, uh, that's not where the story ends. The story doesn't end there. When I first um, came to the faith, I used to think that uh, Paul and Jesus taught very different messages. But how wrong, how ignorant, right? Paul was following after the footsteps of Jesus for the truth. The truth that was in his heart was too precious to be contained only to himself. He had to share it with others. He had to, you know, like when he was on that boat and he was about to sink, there was a lifeline. He had to extend that lifeline. That's what the gospel is. It's a lifeline for a soul to come up and to be able to receive salvation. And life, as precious as it is, we find that there's something more precious than life. That thing, go for it. The truth of God is something that is more precious than life because it is what guarantees us life eternal. It is the person of Jesus. Remember, he says, Jesus, he says, he, he's the one that says this. Whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever, whoever loses it for my sake will have it forever. That's what Jesus says, right? This is exactly what happens to, to Paul. Now, I think it's kind of a shame that it's not recorded, but I think it's not recorded for a purpose. It is in church tradition that in the year 64 AD, Paul was beheaded. His head was cut off by the Emperor Nero. And today, being that it is Valentine's Day, I wanted to just share with you the legend. Again, this is apocryphal. There is no way of knowing which story is true. There's so many versions of it, and there's so many Valentines. He's not only one person. But one legend contends that Valentine was a priest who served during the 3rd century in Rome when Emperor Claudius decided that single men made better soldiers than those with wives and families. He outlawed marriage for young men. Valentine, realizing the injustice of the decree, defied Claudius and continued to perform marriages for young lovers in secret. When Valentine's actions were discovered, Claudius ordered that he be put to death. Right? 
So it's the legacy of martyrdom. It's our faith giving us the power to be able to do something in the defense of the truth, not compromising our character, and to live it out as God wills it. That, that brothers and sisters, is the narrow gate, the narrow gate into eternal life. When we hear the gospel, we're inspired. We're given that, that seed that grows, you know, like a small seed, like a mustard tree, mustard tree seed. It grows into this potentiality that we don't know by which way it will grow. It will grow immensely. And upon this mustard tree, you know, it, it provides so much for others that it, it gives a resting place and a shade, resting place for all the birds of the air and a shade. Such is the life of an apostle. Such is the life of a disciple who is guided by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Now, we finished the book of Acts. Congratulations. That's an amazing feat and an accomplishment for you guys to be able to sit there and to listen to the entire thing, you know. There was only one break in the middle. We heard First uh, Timothy for seven weeks, but you, congratulations, you heard all of Acts of the Apostles. We can say that this is also, um, the title can be Acts of the Holy Spirit. I pray that our study with the book of Acts does not, is not really, it's not over here with the 28th chapter, but then our lives, that God will, have full license to, to write out our lives into the Acts 29, that, 29 that, has been, that has been written since the 60s all the way until now. The chains of miracles are still happening, still happening, still happening. New converts still, still going on. And the opposers, the people that are persecuting the saints, still going on right now. They say that in this century alone, there's more martyrs for Jesus Christ than all the other centuries combined, right? Which leads me to believe that the day when the Lord comes back is coming nearer and nearer. It's not like this, it's not like this, you know, you know like one, one, like a straight line. It's like a limit, it's like a limit's curve. One day, it's going to be inching forward, forward, a little bit, a little bit at a time, and bam, one day will come where Jesus is having, dealing with the whole world face to face. I want each and every one of us to be on the side of His light in His kingdom. Amen? Let us close in prayer. Heavenly Father God, we thank You for allowing us to, to have this privilege to study Your Word for entire two years almost of the book of Acts. And uh, there's so much spirit in there. There's so much of Your Spirit and the, there's alacrity. There's a... It's so lively, and it's just so powerful. And yet, I don't know if we're able to contain it all. We ask, Lord, that, that every moment that we're awake, or even when we are going to sleep, that your Holy Spirit would whisper to us, and that we'll be, we would regain that sensitivity to your presence, so that we would, Lord, uh, enjoy you. We want to enjoy you in this life unto eternal life. And we want to, as we enjoy you, to share you with other people. We don't want you only for ourselves, but we want to multiply the joy. Help us multiply your joy. Help us be the, to be the cause of, you, of that multiplication. We ask that uh, Bangkok House Church, Tijuana House Church, all the house churches here at NBC would multiply, that we would, Lord, be able to invite new believers into your fold, and that we would witness the miracle of salvation, people, people's souls being saved 
before our eyes so that we may taste that joy once again. Why we're called to be a Baptist church here, why we're called to be Miracle Land. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen. Now at this time we'll have a time of praise and response, and then after that we'll have a time of offering.